0: Welcome to the Contact Center podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Pierce, editor of Call Center Helper. In this episode, we'll be looking at how to improve customer journeys with customer service strategist and key thinker, Martin Hill-Wilson from Brain Food Consulting.
1: Are we designing something that, from the customer's point of view, is abundantly and obviously better? Because if it's not better, the other problem we've got with customer journey management in this sense, is that customers won't change their behavior and they're going to stick to the tried and the tested, which still involves sitting in queues and talking to people. Customer design, particularly when you're going digital and you're going self-service, really has got to take a much broader view of what currently takes place between customer and live human. And you're trying to mirror that in an entirely self-service way. And you have to take a very broad view of all the gotchas and the things that don't work. Otherwise, you've made no progress at all in terms of your twin goals of reducing your service costs and improving the customer experience. A number of journeys, not all of them, but a number of journeys need to be fundamentally reworked from the perspective of simplification and offering a better experience. And that's generally sitting in that big digital transformation roadmap.
2: This episode of the Contact Center podcast is sponsored by Genesis. Genesis is the global leader in omnichannel customer experience and contact center solutions. More than 11,000 companies in over 100 countries trust the Genesis customer experience platform to help them connect effortlessly with consumers across any channel, voice, text, web chat, and social. If you would like to see a demonstration of the Genesis PureCloud contact center platform, visit callcenterhelpercom forward slash demo.
0: So what are some of the uh, exciting projects you've been working on recently?
2: My
1: main one is the emotion management for contact centres. It's a five workshop programme stretching over six, seven months. I've got 35 people on it. We just had a fascinating session last week actually exploring the history of emotion and the different competing theories and also the psychology behind of it and the people on the course are busily building their own strategy and plans. so that's a real highlight for me i'm enjoying that a lot i'm just doing a little bit of work at the moment looking actually at probably things we're going to be talking about with a big client on how their call center infrastructure works and journeys and joined up journeys and you know all of that good stuff and i'm starting to think a little bit more actually about the practicalities of trying to go digital you know, in practice, a lot of people, I think, are thinking about in the wrong way. So lots going on. I'm doing my normal speeches and conferences and all of that. So that's all happening in the background as well. Just about to tack another couple of chapters onto the emotion management series. So that's all progressing as well. So it's a busy time. Thank you.
0: Excellent. So this week, we're going to be looking at the topic of providing better customer journeys. So Martin, what do you think are the biggest barriers to companies in providing better customer journeys?
1: Oh, I think the foundation one is that the journeys aren't good enough (laughs) to be rather flippant about it. And the reason is, if there is a difference between a journey and a process, one is orientated to the company's benefit and the other is orientated to the customers. I still think that too many of those journeys are incomplete from the customer's perspective net result is doing things is difficult effortful and still requires a lot of human intervention
0: and when you said there's a process and there's a journey which is the the company looks at the journey and the customer looks at the process
1: Yes. I mean, to give an image of that. So we may well build a process around of getting something done, like onboarding a customer or filling an application. The things that matter to the company around of completeness of data, for example, or something of that nature, they're all perfect from that perspective. But when the customer looks at it, they may well be irritated because that data, for instance, has been provided many times over already, and yet you're still expecting me to do it again. It may well be, as is often the case now, that journeys are split between physical activity like, you know, providing visual evidence of who I am or filling in a document, posting it. The company themselves then has to probably put it through a scanning process, an assessment process. But then part of that journey is online and digital. But the net effect is that the time it takes to get something done is is a matter of days, maybe even a matter of weeks as opposed to the fact that if it was all within a digital domain, it could be done you know, within a matter of minutes. And that's a real effort from the customer's perspective as well. So journeys, generally speaking, are still half-cooked in many respects. They are also complicated because the underlying support that systems provide to complete those things are often siloed in the sense that there may be duplication of effort, around of gathering the data, inputting the data it may even be that certain steps need to be repeated in a journey but if you look at it overall if you were to design a way of doing something from the word go simple low effort is seldom the way that you would describe lots of the key journeys that contact centers deal with like onboarding you know a claims management fixing something etc etc. And so, the state of customer journeys is, I think, one of the key problems that we've got. And it matters because traditionally, what we've done is use humans to help navigate through that complexity. You know, you phone up, you sit in a queue, and the person isn't just helping you. In fact, I can give you a really good example. There was somebody talking to me yesterday about this, saying that when they actually talked to advisors, there was a very simple job, which was booking an annual service visit. Now, that Face value looks like you can do it entirely through an app, you know, through self-service. It really doesn't require anything else. But that really wasn't the reason that the time was being taken or indeed why people were wanting to talk to people. The real problem was to do with the fact that the service engineer had not turned up on time, that the customer maybe had suddenly had an emergency and they needed to change the time, or there was some other logistics around of that. And they were using the live call in order to get that dealt with. And so there was no easy provision built into into the alternative way of doing it for those customers to deal with those particular issues. So it dragged them back into, you know, that live environment. So generally speaking, people are being used often to navigate these journeys, to help customers get through them in a way that's quite unnecessary if you look at the fundamental task at the center of what we're trying to do, which can often be relatively simple. And if it was better designed, could be done independently
0: of human help. So that's interesting. So the problems are, it takes too much effort, it's too complicated, and it takes too much time. So what we need to get to is simple, low effort and fast.
1: Yes, indeed, always at the top of the list. And, and, and the other thing I would put at the top of the list is, if we're talking about this in a context of change of habit, you know, in other words, you used to phone us, would you please do this now in a new way, on an app, online or something? That, for me, represents a change of behavior, a change of habit. There's a certain amount of cognitive overhang on that, you know, God, all right then. But if you're going to make me do that, there really does need to be a reward around of that. And the reward basically is that you will, as you've just said, make my life somehow better. You know, and that better could be that it's easier, it's faster, it's more convenient as far as my agenda is concerned. However, many of those journeys are being swapped out more for cost-saving rather than customer experience benefits. The top of the list for me is, are we designing something that from the customer's point of view is abundantly and obviously better? Because if it's not better, the other problem we've got with customer journey management in this sense is that customers won't change their behavior and they're going to stick to the tried and the tested, which still involves sitting in queues and talking to people. And quite frankly, I do not see a great deal of difference, whether that's delivered via a text media or a voice media. At the end of the day, you're still using people inappropriately to do relatively simple things, which customers would like to be able to do at their convenience. But it does, as you say, need to be simple, effortless and effective.
0: So it's quite interesting there. So the problem with companies wanting to move digital is they're trying to do it, you know, fundamentally, it sounds like, to reduce cost. And the problem is that the digital processes haven't been designed rightly, rather than there's a problem with digital channels, you know, sitting in in isolation from the contact centre.
1: Correct. Absolutely correct. So it's very irritating when you discover this point, but unfortunately, it's true There is a business about using the technology correctly. That's in a separate part of the discussion. But even if you've got great tech, even if you've designed it well, the foundation problem is, you see, the the interesting thing, particularly digital, really means at the end of the day, more often than not, not doing it with humans. You know, that's the underlying assumption that we're doing here. And what we have not managed to do is think through in sufficient detail what that human being is in fact
0: providing. A good example of that would be My son has recently joined one of the new challenger banks. I think it was described as the darling of the fintech world, one of these companies. And he accidentally ordered two debit cards from them because I think there was a problem with the website and he needed to cancel one of them. So he went on the website and they said, do you want to chat with the chatbot? Sure. And so he typed in, how do I cancel a second card? And the chatbot said, oh, you can order a second card through the order a second card option on the app. Did this solve your problem? No, he said, I accidentally ordered a second card and I need to cancel it. So change the question. You can order a second card through the order a second card option on the app. Did you solve your problem? No. Okay, I'll transfer you to someone who can help you. And then it took about five minutes later, You managed to eventually get the problem solved with a person. So I guess the fundamental problem here was there was no... Cancel a second card option, but neither did the chatbot understand that the word cancel overrode second card. It just looked through a list of frequently asked questions, which is how do I order a second card, and it just matched that, which just seemed to make the customer journey an awful lot, an awful lot worse.
1: And there was no benefit at all. So that is a good example of you know the core sets of problems that we've got. So. In another world, in another way, and in fact, what ended up happening is the human being listened, understood and recognised the real issue that your son had and then got it fixed, right? So, you know, we're back to square one again, which is that right now, although there was a queue involved and there's a cost involved in that, nonetheless, that outcome was fixed. So now, how could that have been done better? Well, there's a number of things sitting in there that need to be addressed the first one is if you're going to say, right, we really want to try to enable the customer to be autonomous and to self-serve most of the time in terms of managing their financial affairs with us. The first thing is that you have got to be extremely clear with customers what it can and it cannot do. And, you know, I think that in the journey that we're all going on at the moment, one of the things that brands are absolutely negligent about is broadcasting and promoting and signposting what we can and we cannot do in different ways. In other words, to avoid the frustration and the scenario that you have just described. Because indeed, if you are going to turn away from a human being doing something to something like a chatbot, the reality is you are working intent by intent, slowly in terms of gathering all of the different use cases together. And it's not going to be the case for a good number of years that you have got a general all-purpose conversational AI that can really answer anything. You're going to have things prioritised. Now, what they will have probably prioritised, given their objectives as a business, will be to sell you a new current account or to look to cross-sell those kinds of things. Or probably listening to the chat transcripts in the call centre, they would have picked off the top two or three issues That they almost frequently be dealing with through people and they will have tried to have gotten hold of those intents the different ways in which customers ask about those intents and then provided a chatbot solution the real problem sitting there is that there's always going to be the exception to the rule and it may well be the fact that somebody's duplicated an order for another card doesn't happen very often you know it might be statistically very infrequent However, the issue then is how are you going to then make it extremely simple for customers, you know, to get through to what they actually require. And there are a number of different ways of doing that. There are some solutions, for example, that have still always got live assistance sitting behind it. And any indication of frustration from the customer, duplication of questions, immediately causes a barge in with a live advisor to save all of that problem. And then the customer doesn't have to sit in a queue and wait to be dealt with as far as that's concerned. Or it might be that you design it in a certain way, that as soon as there is no satisfactory answer, the escalation is immediate and seamless as far as that's concerned, rather than, again, inaccurately identifying the intent and taking people around the loop. But that is not a problem of the technology. It's more an issue of conversational design. And if we go back a generation to IVR, again the criticism that many people have got on ivr isn't actually to do with the technology it's to do with the design of the technology and often the necessary expertise you know hasn't been brought to bear so yesterday interestingly i was i was watching google's conversational design team talk about you know their whole approach to design and one of the things that comes through very clearly on that is that it's not you know there's a whole additional stream of activity and thought and preparation that has to be gone through in order to make these things work. And one of the things is that we have a lot of frustration very quickly if we are not understood as customers. Now, human to human, we immediately adapt and mirror that and understand it, You know, either placate or mirror it and acknowledge it or probe with an additional question. But that kind of coping strategy that humans do is not being adequately reflected in self-service routines you know, either as an FAQ or indeed as a conversational AI. So, you know, there's a number of things to get wrong. One, as we said, actually, at the top of this discussion, the journey itself is complicated, still requiring human intervention. Two, the technology is just not well deployed in terms of its capability to recognize intent and provide answers. And then thirdly, the conversational design component really hasn't been well done. And some of that, to come back to our key theme, is missing the point around of how you think about a journey in its fullness. So I can give you back an example from, again, a story I heard two days ago, which was that we used a digital app, this particular person, to get a refund because they needed that. Now, interestingly, the refund, though, in terms of the legacy system, could not be completed for five full days. That was not communicated to the customer. Uh, nor was there there any proactive messaging. The net result, guess what, is that that customer then phones the call center and says, where is my money? Did that transaction even work? So what they failed to do was to really think the fullness of the before, the during, and the after in terms of the key things that the customer will go through. The net effect is, They technically have an answer to it, but they have not really fulfilled the needs that the customer has got, particularly given the fact that they are causing some of that problem. So customer design, particularly when you're going digital and you're going self-service, really has got to take a much broader view of what currently takes place between customer and live human. And you're trying to mirror that in an entirely self-service way. And you have to take a very broad view of all the gotchas and the things that don't work Otherwise, you've made no progress at all in terms of your twin goals of reducing your service costs and improving the customer experience. All you've managed to do is to frustrate people and then put them back into, you know, the queue at the end of the day. So I think it's because we're in very early days on all of this. And we really haven't come to grips with the real complexity of mirroring human behavior in an autonomous
0: way. So it looks like a lot of the secret of getting the customer journeys right as we go forward is almost how do we get the self-service component designed correctly from the start?
1: Yes, I would agree. I would agree. And some of the truth, which is very unfortunate, I was going to say this earlier on, is that your journey is not fit right now to be turned into self-service. It may be a theoretical candidate. You may well have a vendor who says, I have got a you know, an intent library for this particular use case. And here's XYZ who've done it. But your current approach to doing it, if you sit and listen to the way that your advisors have to engage with your customers and help them through that journey, it's a ridiculous idea to imagine a customer is going to be able to do that by themselves. There is too much complexity. It gets people too frustrated. It's just going to cause people to want to talk to somebody to help them through. So therefore, a number of journeys, not all of them, but a number of journeys need to be fundamentally reworked from the perspective of simplification and offering a better experience. And that's generally sitting in that big digital transformation roadmap, you know, of trying to make things easier at the end of the day. And once you've done that, then actually part and parcel of that redesign is the fact that customers probably want to be able to do that by themselves and are able to do that by themselves. So you can't, however good the technology is, you can't tack that on the end of a bad process. We know that, you know, the old adage about rubbish in, rubbish out on data, you know, for CRM is it's the same point that you can put a great self-service process at the end of a journey. And if it's a bad journey, it's not going to work.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that's absolutely key. Where do people get started on improving the, the customer journey? Is it a pile of post-it notes and a big processing mapping exercise? Or is it really just zooming in on, on one component of, of of service design and designing one inquiry type that people have?
1: I think the more granular you get, the better. Because funnily enough, it is true, the more you look at these things, the, you know the, the issues really sit in the detail of it. So I I don't think that you end up with a, you know, a very large journey map that almost goes from awareness through to support and, you know, lifetime value. That's far too up in the air stuff. You really need to get down to the detail. And I think from a contact center, customer service perspective, it's in those things that we do day in, day out, a much more micro level. So your focus is on the detail of those little things. And the question is always to say, do we really need to be using a human being for that particular task. Because, you know, I've said it many, many times over, I believe that we should only use people going forward when it's emotional, when it's complex, and when it's about building the the quality of the relationship. And if you just take that as a very simple rule of thumb, and then you look over all of your inbound categories, that gives you a very crude way of dividing out what should remain in the human domain, and then what should, in theory, be a candidate for another approach. Now, there's a number of things in that. One part of that, by the way, is saying that issue shouldn't even exist. You know, we're not going to self-serve that. We're just going to eliminate it. That's a silly, redundant way of doing things. You know, that's that really is failure demand. Let's eliminate. So that's one particular conclusion. The next one is, I think, twofold. You either go down the route of robotic process automation, whereby the activity really doesn't warrant human attention, quite frankly. It just needs to be automated And that's either from the perspective of the advisor and or the customer, that's a whole bunch of stuff and people are beginning to do that, or actually the customer wants and should be able to do that. But we need to be able to provide them with a sort of logical step by step way of doing that. Sometimes it's easier if it's designed as a conversational flow and then we're sort of getting closer towards the world of the bot but you have to then look at the you know the really detailed stages of so what's the first thing the customer needs to do in terms of understanding in terms of activity in terms of information they might need to be able to do that activity so it's as granular as that and again the way to understand that task is to i think use advisors very very strongly because if they're currently doing it themselves what we're attempting to do is to look at what's the current way of doing it that we do with a customer. You know, as you do that work with customers, what are the additional considerations that they may be asking you that you are, on passant, also helping to solve? Do you also find that once you've done a main task, that people say, "Oh, and by the way," and how often does "Oh, by the way" come up, which you haven't anticipated as well as part of your, you know, redesigned thing? And then look at that and talk about it honestly and say, the way that we currently do it, is it at all conceivable that we could automate that and allow a customer to do that? And that debate is not too difficult to have. You know, customer advisors, I think, and people looking at that can say, no, that's just not going to happen. Or if we modify that, if we simplify that, if we redesign that, or we used what we've currently got better. I mean, one interesting point about self-service is using data that we already have about customers. Again, CRM data is really just not used at all effectively. And so in the redesign process, with those criteria that you've come up with, which is simple, effortless, the shortest possible route to doing it, maybe some education. That's the other interesting point. Do you need to provide an embedded information on how to do stuff? And by the way, is that best written? Is that best done as a little video or something like that? You know, can we enable customers to do it as far as that's concerned? So I think what you've got to do is to take, you know, the lowest common denominator in terms of effort and task completion and then trial it. The other point about all of this work is that, you know, you still don't really know all the ways that customers can get it right and to get it wrong. So you need a very sort of trial, test, learn, agile, whatever language you want to use without spending an awful lot of effort doing that stuff. So for me, I think a lot of the redesign happens with, you know, paper-based versions, you know, hypothetical things, and you just go out and try it with some people. Now, again, a lot of people in their own businesses will maybe be customers of that business. That's a good group of people to start trialing new things on. Trial it with friends and family, you know, just find out what things do and don't work there. And then you come up with a revised journey with, all of those things that the customer is going to find a challenge somehow, you know, resolved. And that really is the kind of the basis of your need that you should have defined before then going to do a self-service, you know, solution on top of that. And I think you can do that through a series of fairly simple workshops with your customer service advisors, you know, team leaders or whatever like that. Think about a better way, test that out with some customers, come back, and then you've got the basis of, I think, a much more useful discussion you know with a vendor who can then help you transform that into a self-service routine
0: yes because i think one of the one of the things that often it missed is the sort of the testing and the continual improvement of that test before it gets rolled out to everyone
1: yes put the other way around by the way is that whilst your son suffered that what should be unforgivable is that another customer goes through that same experience so what they really should be doing in the background is having humans watching that. Now they clearly didn't manage to intervene in time, but they ought to have recognized that problem and that problem ought to be fixed overnight. Now there may be a temporary solution there, which is to recognize, you know, the person who has duplicated their, you know, got a second card by mistake, and there is some coping strategy, but very soon after that there ought to be full intent recognition and that that is then seamlessly dealt with, with both, yes, this is how you do it, and I will do it for you, or we still can't help you with that, but I will immediately send you through to a person who will fix it for you immediately.
0: Hmm. I suppose one of the problems with chatbots is that, in some ways, what you get is people only interact with the chatbots. So you don't necessarily, you know, people just go, I'm just going to give up. This seems like too much effort. And so, in a way, you don't get the transfer through to the advisor which, you know, might flag up that something wrong. It might just be, oh, it was something we didn't understand.
1: I saw a lovely thing last week, actually. Chris Ezekiel, you know, who does Creative Virtual, who's been, you know, doing this for 13 plus years now, he had a lovely little picture on the screen showing the transfer from a virtual assistant, which was in a simple box, you know, just a simple visual avatar of that particular virtual assistant. And then still staying within that same dialogue box was then a picture of a real human being still done in the same kind of visual drawing style. But it demonstrated to the customer that they were moving from a virtual assistant to a live assistant. You know, he said that that really helped the customer recognize, you know, that change in the journey. And of course, the trick of it is that everything that the customer will have done with the chat bot to date, that interaction history will be visible immediately, obviously, you know, for the live agent to understand, pick up, and then seamlessly pick it up from that particular point. And I think at the end of the day, and we're not there at all, first competency is to get that seamless escalation to live. And here's a point. I think that if you have got confidence that you have redesigned a journey which is better than the old, what you should find is that most customers just don't want to talk to a person if you've done a better job and it's self-service. So therefore, with that confidence, you should always make it visible and easy for a customer to escalate to a live assistant if they require it. And you should find that that is happening very seldom because you've designed a great process. But... You can never anticipate situations and you shouldn't try to say customers will always be self-sufficient. So getting access to a live human being should always be made very, very simple.
0: And in many ways, that access to a live human being, you see most apparently actually at the supermarket where their processes for self-service at the supermarket seem pretty broken to me. They they need some designing. But actually, at most supermarkets, you can pretty quickly get an access to, you know, there's a live person looking after In some cases, four people, in some cases, it's two people to help use the self service system. So they haven't hidden people and say, put your hand up, have a five minute queue, and we'll get someone to, or just go to another checkout. They actually have people hovering there waiting to help customers. And it strikes me that in the contact center, if we are going to automate customer service, we should have people hovering rather, you know, so we should really overstaff that escalation. Procedure so we can do it quickly rather than just going, hey, that's another queue." Let's do it 80, 20, 80, 60, wait 60 seconds.
1: Well said, because, look, let's look at the psychology. Right. So I'm a call center director, manager, leader or something like that. And I've got, you know, process X, journey X redesigned in the way that we've just been talking about. So the very first launch should be, as you say, total overstaffing. Well, the very first thing we do is actually let customers know about that proactively. We then let them know if they're still coming into live assistance, that maybe the, here's another way and let me hold your hand and do it with you. But then as they do it and they build confidence and trust in a new way of doing it, you completely overstaff it, as you have said, and you keep watching it. And every time you overstaff it and you intervene, something has not worked. Something has not worked. So therefore, you take that learning and you re-engineer something. It's in the micro detail of stuff. Until that part of that journey continues to have higher and higher levels of effectiveness. And you keep going, keep going, keep going. You still keep people attached to that journey. But once it becomes a mature self-service journey, you've maybe got only 10%, 12%, 4%, 0.3% of people that need to escalate because the journey has been so well designed. But you could never have anticipated all those little gotchas unless you had got into that continuous human in the loop approach to continuous redesign and smoothing out the journey. You know, that's how the Disney's of this world do that stuff. It's the law of that incremental improvement, you know, marginal gains, it's all about that stuff. And unless you work it in that way, as you've just said, I mean, it's, it's very instructive, actually, what you have said, because if you look to the reasons why that person's sitting there, there's the obvious, the one that like the alcohol thing, you know, you've bought something like a knife or alcohol, you need to have permission to buy that. So that's one reason. But the number of times that the barcode doesn't quite work, the number of times I inadvertently have actually duplicated my buying bread more than once, I need that person. If you look at what goes on, there is constant intervention from that person because the customer didn't quite get that right. And they've got it entirely correct by having, you know, zero effort to go and find assistance. You know, that person is always hovering around. So why we imagine, to your point that you know self service and contact centers should really be any different i can't imagine so i don't think that we're thinking about how you initiate a new self service routine how you understand the inevitable rough edges how you then smooth those out over time and how you go through essentially a maturing process and as a leadership recognize that it's reached a point of pretty strong optimization and it's still connected in to live and you're still interested in the occasions when people need to use a live assistant.
0: Indeed so I think some very sound advice there so just to summarize a few of the things we've talked about today if we want to improve the customer journey we need to make it simple low effort and fast and it's really about the digital transformation of how can we design this process so the customer could take care of it all themselves. That's all about customer customer design, which I don't think we talk about anywhere near enough. And ultimately, the devil is in the detail. It is something that companies often don't like to go through because there's no, if you like, quick fix in the, in the detail. It's really drilling down with that micro approach. So is there a type of person we need to get onto the the customer transformation, someone who is very detail orientated, someone very focused on things not being right?
1: Yes, I think it's, there are some formal skills like service design we could talk about, and those sorts of disciplines, which I really do think are good to bring in. But in terms of what type of person you're looking for, it is uh, someone with a bit of an obsession for the detail, for perfection, for, you know, being in service to customers who can really, think logically, who's data literate, because a lot of this is to do with understanding feedback and getting down to root cause stuff and test and learn and being very systematic about that. I think you have to have stamina and a real desire to get the stuff right. And often the underlying stuff, of course, is going to be a combination as ever of people process tech. So there's going to be a certain skill also in getting those owners of those different things to again, change behavior and help make those journeys better. But underneath of that, there is certainly a core skill which is not to be satisfied until it works for the customer. So I'm not so keen on people who are good, for example, at lean and that sort of thing, not because I think they aren't competent, but they have been orientated to think about the internal agenda, taking cost out. And it's all too easy with these programmes to be Satisfied that it's in, it does a good enough job, and off we go to the next thing. The way we've just been discussing it is much more obsessive, you know, and not to be satisfied until it has worked better than the previous way of doing it. So it's stubborn, customer-focused, detailed, orientated, persistence. And if you've got that, then I think you qualify for for taking those kind of digital journeys on their maturity cycle.
0: Absolutely fabulous. So I think that should be a poster that we should put up in our contact center. Don't be satisfied until it is good enough for the customer. We should make those up as motivational posters and, and circulate with them around the customer service world. Martin Wilson, thank you very much for joining us today.
1: My pleasure, John T. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a good discussion. Thank you.
0: And that's all for this episode. Thank you to Martin Hill-Wilson from Brain Food Consulting
2: for joining us today. This episode of the Contact Center podcast is sponsored by Genesis. Genesis is the global leader in omnichannel customer experience and contact center solutions. More than 11,000 companies in over 100 countries trust the Genesis customer experience platform to help them connect effortlessly with consumers across any channel. Voice, text, web chat, and social. If you would like to see a demonstration of the Genesis Pure Cloud Contact Center platform, visit callcenterhelper.com forward slash demo.
0: Next week on the Contact Center podcast, we'll be looking at the topic of channel shift with Dr. Nicolin Millard from BT. The Contact Center podcast is produced by Call Center Helper, the leading contact center magazine. You can subscribe to our podcasts or give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. You can also access our entire range of podcasts through the Call Center Helper website by visiting callcenterhelper.com forward slash podcasts.